Well, good morning. I want to welcome you, and if you are new uh, to West Park, thanks so much for being here. Uh, last night um, at our house, the Thrive Next had a little get-together, and Cheryl and I decided to go out to eat. Went to one of the restaurants over near the mall, and where they seated us, it was right beneath the speaker in the ceiling. It's one of those kind of situations like, hey, Cheryl! She was, hey, Charles. So they actually moved us over to a much uh, quieter place. But you know, we live in a world that literally bombards us with visual and auditory noise all the time. It comes at us from every different direction. And what happens is that bombardment ultimately leads to weights on our soul. And I found this picture, I think, that describes that weight we feel. How about that? It's like an overloaded car. It's like when we go on vacation, not quite that bad. But, but we actually can feel just like that. And you know what? We can also become addicted to our time-saving devices. You know, I'm a big time-saver, you know, planner, Outlook, and I've got Apple Watch, and I've got a phone, and iPad, and all that kind of stuff. And what these time-saving devices have done for us is they've saved us time so we have more time to cram more stuff in so that we can save more time to cram even more stuff in. So the net is we're doing more than we really ever have with all these time-saving devices. And they can, be, can become addicting. This whole noisy uh, world can, can addict us to the experiences. John Ortberg's an author, and he shared uh, in one of his books very interesting insight that there's a cousin to this uh, uh, relentless pressure and noise, and that's called hurry. And here's what he says. Hurry is not just a disordered schedule, but a disordered heart. And he illustrates this with a really a great visual, a little story. It's about a, a basset hound. Now, everybody can say, oh, he's so cute. You know, we all love dogs. Well, this little dog's name was Tattoo. Tattoo the Basset Hound. Now, uh, spoiler alert, Tattoo was okay. So I need to say that right up front before I share this story. So here's the story. Some time ago, a newspaper in Tacoma, Washington carried the story of Tattoo the Basset Hound. Tattoo didn't intend to go for an evening run, but when his owner shut his leash in the car door and took off for a drive with Tattoo, Still outside the vehicle, he had no choice. Motorcycle officer Terry Filbert noticed a passing vehicle with something dragging behind it. Now remember, tattoos okay, right? The basset hound picking them up and putting them out as fast as he could. You can imagine those little short, stubby feet. He chased the car to a stop, and tattoo was rescued, but not before the dog had reached a speed of 20 to 25 miles per hour, rolling over several times. And then John uh, adds this to the story. We often live like tattoo. Our days marked by picking them up and putting them down as fast as we can. The moral of the story from tattoo is that we can so easily get sucked into this fast-paced world because hurry and noise and incessant busyness are really enemies of a healthy spiritual life. And I can attest to that. I find this to be too, uh, way too commonly true about me. We go on vacation. 
You know, say we're, say we're going a week uh, to the beach or whatever. You go to the beach, sit on the beach, and just chilling, just enjoying the rest and relaxation. And I find that when I go, toward the end of the week, I'm like, I'm like a Gumby. I'm so relaxed. You know, remember Gumby, the little toy? I'm just so relaxed. But doggone it. In a few days or a couple of weeks, I'm back in that routine of that busyness and this incessant stuff going on in my mind. It's easy to slip up on you. But you know what? God does not want us to be controlled nor to, by, or nor to be uh, conformed to this noisy, hurried, busy world. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world and this busyness and this noise, uh, noise uh, uh, that we can get addicted to is one of those patterns. So today I want to unpack a concept that is really key to your spiritual health and my spiritual health that will help us avoid this noisy, hurried, uh, really ultimately unproductive world. It's based on one verse in the book of Mark that we're looking at now. We're just going to really kind of unpack one verse today. And let me kind of bring you up to speed to what was happening in the book of Mark before the events around, actually chapter 1, 35 through 45. We're just going to look at one verse there. So if you were here last week, Jesus went into the city of Capernaum, and it was custom for synagogues to allow traveling uh, rabbis to preach. So he preached in the synagogue. There was a guy who was demon-possessed. He cast out the demon in that setting. After that, he went to Simon, Simon's uh, house, and his mother-in-law was sick. He healed her. Word got out about Jesus. It's authoritative preaching because they were the words of God about all his miracles he was performing, and people just uh, brought uh, person after person after person who was sick for Jesus to heal them. So, it had been an extremely busy time, an extremely busy day. You know when you have a busy day, you kind of reward yourself the next day, maybe, maybe going to work a little later or maybe sleep a little bit later. Not Jesus. No way. Here's verse 35, what Jesus did. After all that busy time, here's what he did. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, I mean like that's really early, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, a little aside here. You know, I find these pictures, uh, sometimes they're not exactly true to the setting. If you will notice, these uh, spruce trees back here, they don't have them in Palestine. So, <laughs> the artist, was, I don't know what he was thinking, you know. Anyway, so Jesus, after this really busy time, he gets up early in the morning before the sun goes up and he goes to spend time with God in silence in solitude. And why was he doing that? You see, the people were clamoring for him like, give me, give me, give me, give me healing, you know, cast this demon out. They wanted him to do this for him so it was taxing, so he needed strength. And he found his strength when he went to spend time with his father in silence in solitude. So this verse really gives us our big idea for today. Spiritual and emotional vitality require that we practice these two uh, disciplines, silence and solitude. Now, today we're going to learn how we can more consistently practice this really, really important discipline that is key to a vital spiritual life. Now, in the verses that follow verse 35, let me kind of bring you up to speed what was happening. So Jesus gets up early before anybody else is up. And, and his, you know, his, the four initial apostles are there. They're in somebody's house. Well, you don't know, it's in Simon's house. So they get up and 
Jesus isn't there. You're like, where's Jesus? So they go out looking for him. They find him, and they're kind of rude to him when they find him. Like, hey, everybody's looking for you. What, what, what are you doing? Jesus' response was, hey, listen, we need to go out of the villages. These people here, really, they're, they're just wanting to get from me. Maybe if we go to these other villages that I teach them who I am and my message, they'll want that more than just healing. So he goes to the other villages, he preaches, he teaches, he heals, and guess what happens? More and more crowds are following him and clamoring for him to do something for them. Now, he te- he, uh, in this little passage here, he, as he preaches and teaches, he heals this guy of a uh, skin disease, leprosy. He tells him not to tell anybody because it wasn't his time and he wanted, didn't want people just to know that he was a healer. But this guy told a bunch of people and guess what happened? more and more people started clamoring for Jesus to do something for them. So that's kind of a quick summary of those 10 verses. Let's go back to this verse again. In fact, let's just say this out loud together as I say it with us. You ready? Here we go. Very, oh, it's not up there. Oh, it is up there. Sorry, sorry. I thought I was going to ask you to do it by memory. Yeah, it's up there. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, throughout the ages, there have been some really outstanding Christian writers who've written about this whole idea of silence and solitude. One of them's a guy named Henry Nouwen. He's with the Lord now. Here's what he says. Without it, that is silence and solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Here's another one. Dallas Willard, who's written a lot about spiritual disciplines. He says... Silence and solitude are generally the most fundamental and the beginning of the spiritual life, and they must be returned to again and again as that life develops. Now, I'm going to probably interchangeably use silence and solitude, so if I say one, I'm really referring to the other most of the time. So here's where we're going. We're going to look at silence and solitude. We get that from verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. The what going to define it for you. The why, why it's important. The how, how to practice it. And the when, the application. I'm going to give you a little application at the end. So let's get this definition here first. What is silence and solitude? I'm splitting them up to give you a little bit of distinction. Read this to yourself, then I'll read it. Okay. It's a practice of temporarily being absent from other people, either in isolation, that is you're physically away from them, or anonymity, you're with others, but you're still practicing solitude, and away from other distractions. Now, it's not loneliness. It's not getting away from others because you don't like them or because they bug you. (laughs) Maybe sometimes we want to do that. It's kind of like where, our, where we are, where our bodies are, okay? That's solitude. Now here's silence. Read this to yourself. Again, it is a practice, again, of voluntarily, both of these, and temporarily abstaining from speaking. Whereas solitude is more of where our bodies are, what we do with our bodies, Silence is more of what we do with our words, with our tongues. Now, the purpose of both of these is to develop our soul. 
It's to develop our spiritual lives, to help us be more fully present with God. And the side benefit is more fully present with others. And they're like hand in glove. Without silence, solitude probably doesn't have a lot of effect. See, essentially, these are practices of not doing something, of not interacting with other people and society, of withdrawing from human contact, whether it's the radio or TV or, or technology or people. Now, Richard Foster is another author. And some of these authors, if you want to kind of read, uh, you know, Google or go to Amazon, you can find some of these books they've written. But he tells a story about this whole idea of, of silence and solitude. Here it goes. An elderly woman who had been working at prayer with all her might, but without ever sensing God's presence, this is that story, she was struggling with that. Well, wisely, her pastor encouraged the old woman to go to her room each day and for 15 minutes knit before the face of God, but did not say one word of prayer. Just knit and enjoy the peace of a room. Well, the woman received his counsel, and at first her only thought was, oh, how nice. I have 15 minutes doing what I can do nothing, which I can do nothing without being guilty. But then here's what he says. He says, in time, however, she began to enter the silence created by knitting. Now, this is not a story about you know, knitting. We're about that. Soon, she said, I perceived that this silence had substance. It was not absence of something, but the presence of something. As she continued her daily knitting, she discovered that. And, here, and I quote, at the heart of silence, there was he who is all stillness, peace, all poise. What she had done, she had let go of her tight-fisted efforts to enter into God's presence. And then by doing so, she discovered God's presence already there. You see, silence and solitude are ways God uses to restore our soul by breaking the engagements with the world. There are practices really that have more to do with a state of our heart rather than a place. Now, granted, sometimes we do get away for this, this experience. But you know what? If you develop these, you can meet a huge crowd of people and you can still experience the sense of solitude. On the other hand, you can be a, become a hermit and totally miss it. It's the idea of kind of you can carry around, it's like carrying around your own portable sanctuary, a sacred place, a place of rest, a place of connection to God in a loud, distracting world. Now, a few more quotes of some great writers. This is from Pascal, a scientist, Christian thinker in the 1500s, I think. Read it to yourself. What a great quote. All the unhappiness of men, women, people rises from this fact they can't just be quiet. Here's another one from Henry Nouwen. He said, it is a good discipline to wonder in each new situation if people wouldn't be better served by our silence than by our words. This next one is from a pastor who lived in the 1800s. Here's what he said. It has been said that no great work in literature or in science was ever wrought by a man who did not love solitude. And then he has this insight. We may lay it down as an elemental principle of religion, of our faith, that no large growth in holiness was ever gained by one who did not take time to be often long alone with God. Now, 
Any spiritual discipline can be taken to an unhealthy extreme. In fact, back in the uh, 18th and 19th century, wealthy uh, people in Great Britain, they would have these big, you know, big houses or big castles, and they had these beautiful gardens in the back. Well, they recognized how important silence and solitude was, but they didn't want to go through the rigors of doing it, so they hired these monks who would hang out in the garden and be silent on their behalf. Go, go figure. A little story here. A monk was newly initiated into his order, and he was told that he had to spend the initial 20 years of training in complete silence. However, he was told that he would only be allowed to say two words every three years. After three years of studiously keeping his vow, he was summoned before the abbot and asked if he had anything to say. In two words or less, he replied, food bad. Three more years went by when he was again summoned by the abbot. Well, do you have anything to say now? The monk was asked. His answer, bed hard. After three more years, the abbot found our friend and asked him if he'd like to speak. His response was, I quit. <laughs> Abbott's response was, well, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain since you arrived. <laughs> Great. Okay. So we looked at the why. Now, the why, the importance. There are many biblical references throughout the Bible to this uh, practice of silence and solitude. Here's just a couple. There's a time to be There was a time to be silent. Ecclesiastes. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God's in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be what? Few. And then this beautiful verse from the psalm, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. You see, Moses and Paul, they're some of the most recognized characters in all the Bible. They were transformed in extended times of solitude. Jesus lived in a constant world of inner solitude and often outer solitude. Now, the key verse we read a moment ago when Jesus got up early and spent some time in silence and solitude is only one of many examples. Other examples are these. Before he began his public ministry, he saw two or three weeks ago, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. Before he picked his disciples, he spent a whole night in prayer to pick which ones would be a part of the twelve. When he heard of John the Baptist's death, it says in Mark, Matthew 14, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And then Matthew 14 tells us after he fed 5,000 that he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But then this next verse probably captures it all. They describe the example Jesus gave us. But Jesus often often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, in contrast, the disciples didn't get it. As we go through Mark, we're going to see how the disciples were still trying to figure out who this Jesus was. But they got caught up in this whole busyness and hurriedness even back then. Here's what Luke, or rather Mark 6 says. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, beautiful words, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Some of you this morning would love to get some rest because your lives are so busy and you're just tired inside. 
Well, I want to kind of help you with that. And I want to say this, that the likes of Moses and, and Paul, who spent that time, extended time alone, and Jesus, if they did this silence and solitude thing, I think it says that we need to really give some heavy consideration to it. So let me give you now eight benefits of practicing silence and solitude. Here's the first one. It breaks the power of hurry. It breaks the adrenaline addiction. We actually get addicted to this hormone called adrenaline when we're going so fast. It's this, this thing of like, I have to do this. I have to do more. I have to do something else. And what, what silence and solitude can do, it can create an inner space for us to be aware of what we're doing. Whoa, Charlie, you need to just slow down so that we can take steps. It can spiritually renew you. There was a priest that lived in the 1500s and 1600s, Francis de Sales, and he developed sign language. It's interesting if you look at history, you know, history, Christianity is kind of getting a bad rap in, you know, our culture today. There's so many wonderful, blessed things that came from Christians. And one of those was sign language. And here's what he said. Now realize this 1500s and 1600s, you know, not, not in the age of technology. He says, there's no clock, no matter how good it may be, that doesn't need resetting and rewinding twice a day. You know, in those days you had to do that to the clocks. Once in the morning and once in the evening. In addition, at least once a year it must be taken apart to remove the dirt clogging and straighten out bent parts and repair those worn out. In like manner, every morning and evening a man who really takes care of it, uh, of, of the heart, must re rewind it for God's service. Moreover, he must often reflect on his condition in order to reform and improve it. Finally, at last, once a year, he must take it apart and examine every piece in detail. That is every affection and passion in order to repair whatever defects there may be. So silence and solitude really can renew you. Here's a third benefit. It reminds us that life will still go on without us. It interrupts this cycle of constantly having to manage things and be in control. That doesn't mean that you aren't needed as a person. We don't have intrinsic value as people. But rather, it breaks us from the sense that I am indispensable. Number four, it clears mental distractions for wise decision-making. I said a moment ago, Jesus spent a whole evening in prayer, praying for God the Father to give him wisdom and choosing the right disciples, apostles. Number five, it creates inner space to hear the quiet voice of God. There's an amazing story in 1 Kings about the prophet Elijah. Prophet Elijah had this spiritual power encounter with the prophets of Baal. Baal was a false god. It was amazing. All these miracles that happened after it was over, Elijah ran. He just got out of town as quick as he could because he heard that Jezebel, who was the queen, wanted to kill him. So he goes up and he finds a cave and he holds up in the cave. And God says, what are you doing there? So he's kind of whining. He says, come out, I want to talk to you. So he came out of the cave. And the first Kings tells us that there was a storm. And there was wind, and there was an earthquake, and fire, but God was not in any of those. First Kings 19.2 says, And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God was in the whisper. See, the way God prompts us to obey him is not in this loud voice and the thunder and the lightning, but it's in gentle whispers. And unless you're quiet and still, you'll miss those gentle whispers of the soul. Here's number six. 
It allows us to disconnect from the world and connect with our soul. Henry Nouwen, he said that in solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. And what is scaffolding? Scaffolding are the kinds of things we put around us, even good things, that kind of prop us up. Like it could be friends, it could be family, it could be job, it could be achievement, uh, technology, social media. Silence and solitude helps us disconnect from that scaffolding that we sometimes use, even good things, to prop us up. Here's number seven, or we already hinted at this a little earlier. It helps us control our tongues. James 1.19 says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Silence and solitude frees us from the tyranny we sometimes hold over others with the words we use. When we're silent, it's much more difficult to manipulate and control the people around us. And words are weapons that we lay down in silence and solitude. We give up the insistence on being heard and needed. How, do we, how does that do that? Well, silence helps us see that we don't need to say as much as we think we need to say. A few weeks ago, I gave this little acronym. See, if, see who remembers it. W-A-I. Does anybody remember what that means? Why am I talking? That's what the acronym means. Why am I talking? Silence and solitude helps us control our tongues. And then it also helps with the other disciplines as well. When you, when you bash Bible reading and prayer with just being still and silent in, in a way, it can really enhance those. Okay. We've looked at the what and the why. Now let's look at the, the practice. These are just some pointers, simple pointers that I hope uh, coming out of this, this message today, you will consider making this a part of your life. But here's some pointers. How do we do it? Just plan for it. It's not, a, a slot in your life, in your daily routine is not going to just open up like, ah, like, oh, this is the time for silence and solitude. You've got to plan for it. You really got to plan for it. Find a quiet place, uh, maybe a closet in your house, maybe the garage, if it's nice weather, you know, out in a park or something like that. Even come by the church. During the week, the church is open. You feel free to do that. Here's another one. Be considerate of others. If you begin to get a hang of this in, in the more extended times, you will might want to let your roommate or your, or your kids or your family know, listen, I, this is what I'm doing right now. And, you know, just ask for, for, for deference in that situation. Uh, Susanna Wesley was the mom of Charles and John Wesley who started Methodism. She had 12 kids. And here's what she would do to let them know mom's time to be with God. She'd put a chair uh, in the kitchen. She'd sit in the chair. And she'd put her apron over her head. That was the cue for the kids to button it up. Number four, just zip it. Just, just try to say a lot of words. Number five, expect some apprehension. If this is new to you, you may feel a bit anxious because we don't like to be with ourselves and our thoughts in silence. In fact, uh, some researchers studied this. And a lot of research is done on college students. You know, they'll, they have this research project at the university, and college students always need extra money, so they'll come in and, you know, be part of the research. Well, this particular research was looking at silence and solitude and the ability to stay with your thoughts. So here's how it worked. You know, they'd come in, you know, fill out some forms, that kind of thing, and they'd go into a room. Before they went to the room, they had to put anything on the table there that could distract them, their phone, their watch, anything, into their pockets, the whole thing. They were to only be there with their thoughts. 
Now, one little twist. Each student had a little metal band around them. The metal band was attached to a switch, which was attached to a battery, and they held the switch. They could actually push the switch, and it would give them an electric shock. Not enough to you know, kill them or hurt them, but like, oh, it hurt. You think, and, and they just say, just be with your thoughts. The 50% of those college students, because they didn't want to just be with their thoughts, they zapped themselves. One guy zapped himself 196 times. We don't like to be with our thoughts. So if this is new for you, it may be, it may be difficult because you'll be bombarded with all these thoughts and emotions, but stay with it because you realize that a day with solitude is so much better than a day without it. How about length? Well, walk before you run. If this is a new star, five or ten minutes every other day, then every day. Maybe you boost it to 20 minutes. And maybe you go for two hours on a Saturday morning. Maybe you do a half a day on a Saturday. Maybe overnight. So walk before you run. And then bring your Bible and maybe a little, a little notebook. Okay. So we've looked at the what. We've defined it. The why. The how. The practice. Now the, the when. The application. Here's my challenge. Try it next week. Just try it next week. That's my challenge. And here's how it, how it might, might look. Three days, if this is new for you, just do three days. Set to go, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Five to ten minutes in each of those days. Bring your Bible, like a little notebook where you can write down insights. And let me say, this may be easier for some than others. Let me do a little survey right now. You know what an introvert is and an extrovert is? Pretty much. How many of you would consider yourself an introvert? Raise your hand. Real high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm an introvert. How many of you are extroverts? Raise your hand. Okay, you guys want to have a party. (laughs) God fashioned us differently. You introverts, as you hear me bring this message, you're saying, you're speaking my language. (laughs) The extroverts are saying, what? So, if you're an extrovert, you might find this a little more difficult. If you're an introvert, you're going you're gonna to love it. Just love it. Now, I want to leave you with this verse. Wonderful verse from the prophet Isaiah. He says, in quietness and confidence is your strength. Jesus' strength came from times of silence and solitude with his heavenly Father think for a minute of, Tiffany and I went to a concert at a Western University, uh, was it yesterday? Or, or, oh, fr- Friday. And it was their, their strings, it was students, uh, and then some, some uh, a quartet came in. It was, re- it was really good. But imagine you go into a, a piano concerto. Is that the right word, concerto? For piano? Okay, anyway, person's playing the piano. They're really, really good. It's beautiful, beautiful music. Between each of those notes is what? A rest. If you played all these notes at once with no rest, all you would have is noise. Now, no, none of us wants to live in a world of just noise and hurriedness and drivenness. Just think what might happen if every single day you carved out a few minutes of silence and solitude before God the Father to recharge your soul, think about how that could change your days. So I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I'm going to
do a little experiment right now. We're going to have some silence and solitude. Extroverts, just hold the hand of an introvert and you will be okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding with you. So just 60 seconds. I'm just going to time us here right now. Just bow your heads and just be still before God and then I'll pray for us after a minute. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blessedness of all the senses you gave us. And they're just a wonderful, wonderful thing. We know, Lord, that our world is broken because of sin. And the push for busyness and noise is, is really incessant. But, Lord, we do not have to be sucked into a lifestyle that, yes, we're busy. We have to be busy sometimes. We can't ignore the noise around us. But we can intentionally choose to build into our routines times of just being still and quiet before you. Lord, I pray for uh, every person that's listening to my voice right now, that your Holy Spirit might prompt them to remember what we talked about, even if it's just one or two points, but the essence of the importance of silence and solitude. And I pray that every person here would consider, if it's new for them, would consider building into the routine, just trying it for a week, silence and solitude because we see from scripture that's that was where jesus strength was and those things that jesus did are meant for to be encouragements and are meant to model for us and we we thank you for those beautiful pictures in scripture when jesus just got away and he was he was a savior of the world and he could have done more stuff but he got away because he knew that was where his source of strength was. So Lord, we just lay our lives before you and pray that silence and solitude will become a part of all of our lives. And before I close this prayer, perhaps you're here, your mom, your dad, your student, grandma, grandpa, and you've never come to faith in Jesus. Well, the simple story of the gospel is that Jesus was fully God, fully man. He was born of a virgin, lived on earth without sin, though he was tempted spent the last three years of his life in public ministry that he was crucified on a cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He walked on earth for 40 days, seen at one time by over 500 people. He ascended to heaven, and one day he's going to come back and make everything right. But he did all that for us. And if you've never come into faith, a faith relationship with Jesus, you can simply tell him something like this in your heart right now. Dear God, I want to know Jesus. I want him as my savior. I turn from my sins and I turn to Jesus for forgiveness of my sins. I want to become a follower of Jesus. So Lord, my prayer would be that there were many that invited you into their 
hearts a moment ago. So, Lord, we, we give this coming week to you and pray that as we think about Thanksgiving, that that would be just a great day to begin to practice silence and solitude. And we pray this in your name. Amen.